Welcome to Prone to Wonder, a podcast where no questions are off limits. Join us, Amber Humphreys and Becca Robinson, best friends, women, and ex-ministry junkies, as we navigate conversations around deconstruction, reconstruction, growth, and wondering aloud about all the things we weren't supposed to wonder about. These conversations aren't about having all the right answers, but about giving yourself permission to ask questions and forge your own path. We're so glad you've joined us. Recording in progress. Um, that's what I'm going to do. I, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be the new voice for random recording someone, in progress. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. I bet that's just all AI at this point. Yeah, recording, maybe. recording in progress. <laughs> but there's something special about Yeah, the human touch for saying recording in progress. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel lately that I've been asked a lot about, so how did you deconstruct or where are you mm-hmm. at or what happened? or, And it's, it's fascinating because um, I feel like you go through periods where you're just like, all right, well, we've passed that and everyone mm-hmm. knows and it's fine. Um, but then I realize that that people are still really curious because they are either at different points on their journey or hadn't heard that that had happened. Or um, like I had somebody the other day, I was actually not arguing on Facebook, but gently pointing out some misinformation. I was very kind. Mm-hmm. I was very kind, mm-hmm. um, but gently pointing out some misinformation about Target. Um, <laughs> because I was really in a mood <laughs> about it. And I even said, one of the things that I had said was, I know that we believe differently and that's okay, you know, or we're coming from a different place and that's totally fine, but here's why you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, because this is not an opinion thing. This is actually like factually inaccurate. And if you're going to boycott or whatever, that's totally fine. You don't have to shop anywhere you don't want to, but please do it for reasons that are real. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was like, well, I know that you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. So I think we would believe the same, uh, part of this. And I was like, um, about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't really attribute myself to that label anymore. And, um, I, <laughs> even when I was, I was still very much not the boycott this target. I was <laughs> not this flavor. I was not this flavor, so I don't know that we've ever agreed, actually, on a lot. (laughs) But then somebody um, messaged me, and because this person used to go to one of the churches I used to uh, sing at, and this person messaged me and was like, hey, I am so fascinated to hear about this because I've been really like, you know, can you tell me a little bit about where you're at and like what happened and how you got there? And I was like, you know what? We told Becca's story, but never really got around to telling mine. Because the people just, want the to people, know. people, both of them want to know what Give happened. Give the people what they want, Amber. I know. And a lot of, it's funny because I think a lot of people, if you. Spill the tea. <laughs> spill the tea. The tea <laughs> is lukewarm. Um, 
over the, it's funny when I'm explaining the podcast, I'm like telling people because of when we started, it is really kind of a real time following of my deconstruction, at least the the major part of it, because I had already started, which is why we started the podcast, you know, because right. we were, we were in this space, but. But in case someone doesn't want to spend 20 three seasons, hours. Four seasons. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of give you the, the. TLDR version. TLDR um, <laughs> in one podcast. Uh, and it's interesting because I really, I'm a little scared to go back and listen to season one um, because I, I know that I will think differently than I did then. And so I wonder like, I'm like what did I say? So I, I do sort of, I do sort of want to go back and listen just to kind of compare like how I would handle things now or how I would yeah. answer questions or like how that shifted. Um, yeah. Okay. Take us back. Okay. I How did it happen? <laughs> okay, I won't leave this in, but whenever I tell like a long story, I want to do, do – did you ever see The Jerk with Steve Martin? I might leave this in. Um, did you ever see The uh, Jerk with Steve Martin? Maybe. Okay, I, don't know. I love Steve Martin. I grew up loving Steve Martin, but the beginning of The Jerk, he is born um, – or he, he's raised in a black family. He's white, obviously, Steve Martin, and he doesn't know that he's white, though. They're poor. And he goes, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I go to start a story, that plays in my brain. But yeah. without context, that's a really weird thing to say. It is, so, yeah. Without, without context, it's a little strange. Right. Weird. So, But weird in my start. head, that always plays. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so quick backstory of my life. I grew up Christian, um, evangelical. My parent it's funny because I feel like so many people grew up under like this denomination or like this, but we we moved around a lot. And I feel like throughout my life we went to a lot of different types of churches and my parents kind of went through because they didn't grow up. Christian. My dad was Catholic. He was Italian, New York, the whole nine. Um, And my mom, I think she became a Christian later as well. Um, I don't know exactly when though, but so this was the 80s. (laughs) So um, if you know anything about 80s Christianity, it's a whole thing. Um, 80s, 90s kind of was uh, the charismatic, uh, satanic, revivals. tent revivals, the whole nine. When I was younger, my parents were much more fundamentalist. I don't remember as much of that. Like they went through a period where like I wasn't wearing shorts, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they kind of like recovered from that pretty quickly and moved forward. But I remember growing up, like I couldn't watch, you know, the were you Smurfs. Like a, were you like a James Dobson household? Like, did your parents watch his stuff and follow his parenting methods? I don't know, but probably. I'd have to ask my parents. I was not – I didn't question anything at the time. I was like – especially with my dad because I – like, he was, like, my hero to me, you know, and we moved around a lot, so I didn't have, like, a ton of – friends and so like he was like my you know mm-hmm. um and my dad we were in ministry pretty much as long as i can remember and my dad was some form of music minister or pastor or youth pastor 
my whole life. So we were always, you know, involved in the church. And I think in my, my most formative Christian memories, like I remember obviously all of the, the stuff of like going to like the Baptist churches or like these like much more small town, you know, I remember being like the only person under 60 in the choir because Mm -hmm. they were like, you have to be in the choir. You sing good. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of that whole thing. So the very sort of traditional church to when I was a young teen, like kind of entering into my teen years is where I feel like the most damage uh, was caused. Um, well, that's not quite true. I grew up with rampant anxiety um, and I didn't know it was anxiety. I thought it was demons. <laughs> Obviously, that's a much more reasonable did you, but did you grow up with Carmen and his music videos uh ma'am Carmen was my first concert <laughs> my um, by the dust oh my gosh that was my favorite song so I actually this is so silly um because I had a horrible anxiety and probably depression as a kid I'm now like piecing together the things like oh no that wasn't just me being quirky anyway my mom i would have i would have really bad nightmares like very and i still do i have like very intense dreams where i have all my senses i can remember them it's crazy and i used to have what is it called when you can like control your dreams lucid dreams yeah you have lucid dreams and so that made them more terrifying (laughs) anyway when i was young they used to say they were spiritual prophecy dreams which is you know, neither here nor there, but terrifying if you're scared of them and you're like 12. So I would have these horrible nightmares. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep if I was not the first one to fall asleep in my house. Like if everyone else in my house was asleep, I couldn't fall asleep. So I would beg my parents to stay awake until I fell asleep. And Carmen came out with this music video for this song that was like, don't want no monsters in my house. Oh my gosh. We don't. Yeah, right? We don't want to screaming. You're nothing but a demon, so it's time for you to. That's (laughs) it. Yes. Um, I am protected by the Holy Ghost. (laughs) It goes, I am protected by the Holy Ghost. Okay, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Would you like me to perform the Riot album front to back? I would would really. uh, That's what we need to do. So, our first podcast meetup is going to be Amber performing. Carmen, Carmen's greatest hits. <laughs> and we're all just going to like sit there and like let all of the emotions fall out of our body from it. Anyway, so my mom would have me sing that. That was like, it, it's actually, this one is not a bad religious memory. Like it's kind of like a cute one. She'd be like, sing the song, you know, like say you don't want any monsters. Um, so like now sometimes if I like get scared walking around my house at night in the dark, I'll hear it in my head. I'll be like, don't want no monsters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We had the VHSs of his music videos. I did too. Did you, have, did you have the one on the airplane? The 777 Obviously. Airlines? Did you have the, um, it was like the champion. It's the one with the girls in the classroom. And then she wakes up and like has like the hay in her hair from like her dream. And so you're like, was it real? <laughs> I didn't have that one, but I have seen that one. Yeah. Okay. I had Jared, all of my... Riot. Oh, yeah, and for I sure. Had, um, I had the one where he talks about outer space a lot and like. Did you have Yo Kids? No. It's the orange tape with the cat. No, I didn't have that one. It was his kid specific tape. And I also had that. Yo Kids no, with I... a Z. 
because I we were had, cool. like his rapping album. Well, it, it all was, was rap. About, like, it was like performance art. Yeah. None of it was real songs. He didn't really sing much. He That's might have true. like a line or two, but it was it was all just like performance was he Spanish? art. Italian, I think. Huh. Yeah. I had a friend who later toured with him. Of course you do. Yeah. It was I got some great stories. I was okay, like, sorry. please tell me. Sorry, okay, back sorry. to your story. Sorry, sorry, so sorry, sorry, Carmen, 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 Carmen. In the height of Carmen, yes. spiritual warfare, charismatic evangelicalism. But quick funny thing, Jared actually, who's my husband, if you're new here, because um, he also grew up the same way, except I think even more so, um, when he was little because of the the Satan Bite the Dust video, which was like the Western with the little demons, um, because their faces were all squiggly, it like triggered something in him to where he couldn't eat spaghetti for years because it reminded him of the demon faces. Aww. That's one of my favorite stories. That's very cute. Anyway, I had raging anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know why. Um and probably depression. I had a I had also had like ridiculous nightmares. I remember nighttime would start to come and everything would start to get dark and I felt physically ill knowing the night I was about to have knowing the nightmares were coming that you know the demons like all the things like I just so much I couldn't look at a graveyard like as we were passing it I would turn my face because I had so much fear around like death and demons and the afterlife and the spirit like it just it was so bad for me even when Jared and I were dating one time my parents took us to a graveyard to see it was in another he was traveling with us i think we were in florida to see where uh like his my dad's parents were buried or something like that and i had a panic attack i didn't know it was a panic attack um i just felt like i was dying and i went to the car and was just like freaking out and jared was the only one who realized and he was like how does your family not know you um and i was like i don't know but so that was kind of my my growing up. It was very religious, very like I had a ton of fear. And then in my teen years, we got really into even more of the charismatic, prophetic, morning star. I think for my 16th birthday, my present was going to the advanced prophetic conference at Morning Star. And I was like, Bleh. like I thought it was amazing. And like everything was just so intense all the time. Like it was God, I had to do like flag dances and like, mm. oh my gosh. Do you remember in church how people would do the, <sighs> this is so humiliating. I literally cringe like 20 years later thinking about this, but you know how Christians would take songs and change the lyrics. So I definitely yeah. sang the come together uh, Jesus version uh, with my dad. So he did like a, here come old Jesus. Here come. Anyway. Oh my God. You, and then, you defamed the Beatles. I swear to God. And then <laughs> nights in white satin. like <gasps> So it was nights in his service and I had to do like an interpretive flag dance to it. Nice. I am horrified for myself. I am so glad that video wasn't as common as it is now. Mm -hmm. Like all the dramas that you see like floating around like on TikTok and stuff and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is real. I'm like, uh, yeah, I like started every, all those. <laughs> every day. <laughs> like 
it's funny because so like thief by third day i don't know if you remember that song like i am a thief Mm -hmm. and it was about one of the other guys on the cross who was like you know jesus take me with you or whatever mm-hmm. and that's not exactly how that's a paraphrase of the story <laughs> <laughs> that's not biblical um but uh and so it was like set to that and we did this and i was like in charge of everything like lighting costumes i started in it obviously they drug me down the center aisle with chains around my wrist yeah um it was a whole thing and it's, it's funny weird that so many uh- People that grew up in this time are into BDSM. <laughs> right? It's just like weird. I am what is un- it well. I am what is un- it with well. chains and leather and demons? But- I am unwell at that <laughs> parallel. I'm not cutting I'm any of saying, this podcast out. Evangelical to kink pipeline is. Oh my gosh. There's got to be a study on that. Can somebody can some if you have a, if you have a link? Where to, are the sociologists? We it, have questions. Yeah, can somebody? Oh my gosh, how fun a podcast episode would that be? Like to talk to like <laughs> an expert in that about the evangelical to kink pipeline. If you are an expert please. in sociology, I will give you my phone number. Call me, like please. Oh my gosh, we have, we have a lot of theories that we would like to submit for research. Okay. But we have children, so we can't, you know, do it ourselves, but we'll give you all the ideas. Right, 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 right. Because we're tired. Um, (laughs) We're very tired. Uh, Okay, back to your story. Later on, I was playing with uh, one of the guys who was in Third Day, and we, you know, became friends and everything. And he was sitting around talking about how youth groups would send their videos in (laughs) (laughs) and how, you know, they would just, like, die, obviously, like, because they were adults and you know, laughing um, at these children. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, thank God. Cause I, I was like looking at him knowing mm-hmm. that I had done this very thing. Anyway, that was a travesty. Okay. Gosh, what an ADHD rabbit trail growing up evangelical is. Cause I am like trying to tell my story and then I'm like, Oh my God, but did you know and that- this? it's just how it's how we it's how you have to process this stuff i know it's like because it's partially like humor and then like throwbacks and then like Mm -hmm. anyway Mm -hmm. sweet lord okay i'm not gonna cut out much i'm not gonna cut out much of this this is so funny this is fantastic teen years is where we're at yeah okay anyway teen years i am Mm -hmm. flag dancing and shit um and just very charismatic and i remember always feeling like I wasn't doing it right. Like I was never, like I remember being on a tour, a Christian tour when I was 15 with the Voice of the Martyrs book, mm-hmm. which if you don't know what that is, <laughs> there's a whole podcast episode to be had about that fucking book. Mm-hmm. Um, what a weird ass thing. Was that the DC Talk book? It was the DC Talk book. I had that book. With the torn pages, it looked mm-hmm. like an old book, and it was just mm-hmm. stories of people being tortured Murdered. and killed. It was just trauma porn. It was awful, like horror, gore, like the worst things you could think of. And they're like, for Jesus. But let's not watch Harry Potter. But let's not watch Harry Potter. But you can hear about, never mind, I'm not going to repeat what, one of the stories, but I still remember several of them because they were so traumatizing. But I remember yes. just crying, thinking like, I'm not there. Like, I don't love Jesus enough to be tortured and murdered. You know, it's the same thing as them having us, you know, do the shooter drill things where they're like, because of Columbine that happened when we were in high school. And it was like, hey, if they asked you, 
would mm-hmm. you say, yes, you were a Christian and get shot and killed? And I just remember feeling so inadequate because I didn't feel like I loved Jesus enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have nightmares about bad guys doing that and me now realizing fawning and just being like kind of lying to the bad guys and going along with it to survive. And I would wake up just racked with guilt. Yes. That like I had not let them murder me. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, so there was that. And then all of the, I just remember because I had raging anxiety and depression. I didn't know any of it. Um, And I just remember like, well, if I trusted God enough, I wouldn't be anxious. I'm like, Mm-hmm. I'm literally going to cry right now. That was the message. That was it the was- message. I just remember feeling like it was my fault that I was anxious or depressed. Like, because I, or, you know, because. Or it was spirits that you somehow spirits, let into yes. your life. I'm like, how did I let them in? I, I'm trying so hard. I remember trying so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was weird because, and also that was the height of true love weights purity culture and like you're a teenager and your body's going through like hormonal changes and you know all of a sudden you're having like desires and thoughts and like whatever and I remember like feeling trapped because I felt just like so guilty because I struggled with this that was the thing I'm struggling with this Not like, oh, this is human development and this is how you safely and healthily deal with this human development. It was Mm -hmm. just, gosh, I just lived under a blanket of guilt. And then I remember like I couldn't speak in tongues and I remember like other people getting the gift of tongue or like and because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and I couldn't do it. And I was like, why am I broken? Mm-hmm. And even like being in ministry, like, cause after that, like I was obviously always in music ministry, even when I was in smaller churches. And then later on, um, Jared and I became youth pastors, which we had no business doing cause we were children and had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we were just trying our best, you know? Um, and I carry a lot of guilt from that time too. But like, I just remember feeling like I was never doing it right. I never felt enough emotionally And I never related to the like, you know, because that was really the right or the big um, Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Mm -hmm. Like, hold me like a lover, you know, or like whatever. I don't know. I just made that up. But that could literally be a Michael W. Smith song right now. Um, If you told me that was a song, I'd believe you. But like they were all like that. And I just remember thinking that was miserable. Like I like I don't want that. You know, and like, I mean, I wanted to be the best Christian. I fully believed everything, like 100%. I'm all in. But like, I thought something was broken with me because I didn't want to like soak in the spirit for hours, like, which was totally a thing that people were doing. And I thought all women's ministry sucked. Like, (laughs) oh my gosh, like, it was all the Jesus is my boyfriend. We're all just going to like sit in the spirit for hours and like, I don't know. I just always hated it. Like I hated it. And I just felt, but it wasn't like, oh, this doesn't align with me. It was like, oh, something's wrong with me. So then when Jared and I moved to Atlanta, we were like, at this point, very against mega churches, like very, like, absolutely not. They're the worst. Um, It's supposed to be about like community and like everybody, like, I don't know. We, whatever, we were misguided. Um, 
But I was like, absolutely not. Mega churches are the devil. And we ended up at a mega church, which <laughs> felt crazy. But I remember my very first Sunday, I'll just be super clear with it. It was at uh, Buckhead Church, which is one of the North Point campuses, which is Andy Stanley's churches. It's like one of those churches are like some of the largest in America um, and some of the most influential. So I was at Buckhead Church and their very first Sunday was Be Rich Sunday, which is where every year they do this giant initiative where they take a ton of money and just like pour it into the community around them and like pour a bunch of service hours. Like they'll talk to people who are killing it, like this food bank over here or like this school or like whatever, this education foundation and not necessarily Christian organizations, just like organizations taking care of the communities around them and around the world too, because there's uh, partner churches all around the world. And they just like take a bunch of money and pour it out. And like everybody volunteers like to go like, okay, you need this room painted, but we're sending people. And I had never seen anything like that from a church, you know? And I was just like, whoa. And the music was awesome. Cause I didn't know that everybody was like highly professional there. <laughs> um, and I was just so blown away. And I was like, I really feel like we're supposed to stay. It feels, you know, and so we did and we ended up like volunteering and like kids i was like a host so like i wore like pirate costumes and shit um and jared ran sound mm -hmm. <laughs> um and eventually we got pulled in to start singing and stuff and i remember always feeling a lot of anxiety in charismatic churches because you were like you had to drum something up like you were the one that was gonna like bring the spirit you know um but with north point music was just kind of a way to bring everybody in they have like a funnel like it's like um at the top it's just like something fun just to like engage everybody and then like you kind of get like with music so it's just everybody kind of focused on the same thing and then it turns into like the message with a call to action it's you know a really smart system but everything's more planned out in music so music really wasn't about like ushering in the spirit like because i don't know if you remember all of the like you know, you're carrying in the Holy of Holies on your shoulder, just all the things you were told. And I think some people who were very into worship culture found it, you know, kind of stifling because you have like this exact, you know, this is how long this is. This is exactly mm -hmm. what's happening. Like Much more of a production. Much yeah. more of a production. And for me, it felt beyond freeing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not expected to drum up anything. I just do what I do. And that's how I start. And like, I'm done. And like, I, like, I just am who I am and I sing the song and like, that's it. And like, it was so freeing because North Point was really, for Jared and I both, was the first time we realized you didn't have to be weird, that Christianity didn't have to be this weird, charismatic stuff that we had grown up. So it was just all very simple. Like, the messages that Andy gave were, you know, how to not suck basically as a human, like how to do life better. And mm -hmm. I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> and so for us, that was actually a really key part of deconstructing later because we, it was like the stepping stone away from kind of all this other chaos. And it was the first time we were like, this could just be more simple and it can be not weird. It can just be a part of our lives. And so we really felt safe. Um, 
And we never loved, Jared and I both never loved uh, Christian uh, music culture or worship. We were never like, we never set out to be like career worship leaders. It was just, we were good at music and that's what you did. But like, we didn't like a lot of worship music. Um, we didn't like a lot of Christian culture. We just thought it was like subpar and like behind the times always. And so like, we were always sort of anyway, like already like that. Um, but we were like, it's fine. Like in this context, like it is what it is. And some songs I like, and some songs I don't, it's whatever. But I remember the first like real inklings I had that I could be even less, cause I was still breaking down when I was in that world. When I was in the North Point Circle, I started breaking down just through conversations I was having with real people, things I thought about LGBTQ because I was raised that you love everybody, not a big deal. And like, yeah, it's a sin, but not any bigger sin than like pride or gluttony or all these other ones that everybody seems to be fine with. So I don't know why that one, like I got kind of there, but then um, I went beyond that. And I remember I started kind of breaking that down, breaking down the things like that. Um, the question of abortion, which I was really uninformed um, about like what that actually was and the realities of it. And I was very, you know, staunchly anti-abortion, pro-life. Like I did all the bound for life things and the rallies and I um, I photographed uh, things for like a an abortion uh, or an anti-abortion or pro-life, whatever. Uh, I photographed stuff for them for like merch for them for their ads and like relevant magazine and all. So like I was on that, but I started kind of like breaking that down. And like, so like little by little, like there were things that were breaking down as I was going. And I remember in 2016 when Trump was elected um, and I did a whole blog on this, uh, which it's funny reading it now because it's, I still, I feel differently than I did in that. But even then I was like, I thought I had to vote for Donald Trump because of the abortion issue. Mm -hmm. I thought that was my only choice as a Christian. Like, what else was I supposed to do? And I really underestimated the cultural impact that would happen because before that, everybody was, every president in my lifetime had been fairly moderate once they got into office. You know, like they say everything they can on the trail, you know, like they're ridiculous. And I thought he was a horrible person. Like, I hated him. But I was like, well, I hate all of them. I hate everybody, you know? And at least this guy won't kill babies was my was my thought. And I really underestimated. I didn't know he was an insane person that would change the course of history. <laughs> my bad. Um, and, but then after he won and I saw like what started happening, it was shocking to me. And it really shocked me out of all of my white privilege and my little bubble that I had around me and I remember being just shocked and just like looking around and then I was really shocked by the white evangelical specifically responses to a lot of these concerns and then when a lot of the BLM movement started coming into mainstream I was like well obviously like we shouldn't kill people and especially when like the George Floyd thing came out. And I remember looking around because that was really like the big rise of Christian nationalism. And this kind of like, it felt like this separating of a river, you know, of like, all right, we're either going this way or that way, everybody. And 
I was like, what am I a part of? Like, what is this? Like, how are these people saying this? This is so the absolute antithesis of anything Jesus ever talked about. What is happening? Mm -hmm. And I really expected at that point to, because I started getting really public about it. And I, that's when I started losing like thousands of followers. It wasn't even when I was like, Hey, I don't know that I'm in this on this team anymore. It was that specifically when I started talking about police brutality and black lives matter. And I was taking my kids to protests and like, that's when I kind of started losing a lot of followers. And I was like, what's going on? And I started questioning things. I think that's about when we started the podcast. Yep. And I really thought I'm going to end up like I started following uh, progressive Christianity and uh, the decolonized Christian and all of these like Instagram accounts because I really thought like this is where my life is going. This is where my path is going. I'm going to be a progressive Christian. And everything else felt accidental. <laughs> and I say it's kind of like when you look at a sweater or something and you like pull at the one thing and then all of a sudden, you know, it all comes apart and you're like, dang it, I should have just left that alone. Because there definitely was some of that feeling too, like I should have left it alone because it was terrifying. Um, people ask all the time, like, why did you choose to deconstruct? I'm like, I did not choose to deconstruct. Nobody chooses to question everything they've built their life on and everything they know to be true about their reality. Um, and it's just every, one of those things where like you can't unknow it yes. once it comes into your yes. conscious awareness. Yes. And I have... People ask me, like, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about this? And I, it's so interesting because I feel like I have no issues at all with people who are still Christian, especially like the the progressive Christian, the happy givers, like these people who are really living out the teachings of Jesus, like totally fine with that. And they believe some stuff that I don't necessarily believe because I am finding out, and I've heard this said by psychologists that you can't like choose what you believe, like which is why some kids will naturally believe in Santa Claus and some won't just because you can't really choose what you believe in. Like you can't decide, okay, I'm going to believe in this and believe in it. Or you can't decide I'm not going to believe this and then not believe it. It's too it's many just, other unconscious factors. Yeah. There's too many like things ingra ingrained in you. And I remember, um, I remember thinking, I don't think, and it was a panicky feeling, you know, but I was like, I don't think I believe some of this stuff. And I just kept sort of following you know, I'm interested in this. I'm going to read this book. I'm interested in this. And Rob Bell was so great for me. And I really, truly thought I was going to end up a hundred. And we, I still might be on the same page as him. I don't necessarily know like everything he believes. But when I read What is the Bible by Rob Bell, it broke down like all of these stories that I had grown up thinking were about one thing in like cultural context and like what it actually says and what it actually talks about. And I was like, well, why was I taught all this other shit? Like, and I really think if I had grown up under that sort of teaching, like, I don't have to, you don't have to believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a whale. You know, you don't have to believe that this happened. You don't have to, you know, it's like, this is not, this is not what actually matters or happens in this religion. It's like really about this. Right. I don't know that I would have deconstructed. I think I might've still believed in a lot of that stuff, but there was so much grief and anger wrapped up in all of this, like, crap that I was realizing like it's interesting that I since then because of the literal definition of cults um 
that charismatic and and now Christian nationalism is just a cult, um, like actually by the psychological definition. Um, realizing I grew up in a cult, um, and I don't blame my parents for that. You know, they believed what they believed and they thought they were doing right. Um, but there was still so much like, oh my God, just grief and anger about if I'd have just known I had anxiety and not right. that it was like demons, or if I'd have just known that I wasn't broken or wrong or messed up that like this just wasn't for me in that way you know then i think it could have gone a lot differently for me but where i'm at now i still very much think that jesus's teachings are baller you know like that's like i think that in recorded history he is because i i believe he was a real person i don't know that he was what a lot of other people think is, but that doesn't matter. What I look at is like the life that he lived in the context of the culture he lived in and the things that he taught and the things that he talked about and the way he lived his life is really, really it. Like he lived it all like through the lens of, of love beyond what culture taught him, beyond what was like appropriate at the time. It wasn't about politics or power. Like it was very, you know, I still believe that that is a very worthwhile life uh, goalpost because I do think that you have to have some sort of a focus or like core uh, core value or something that you're moving towards because otherwise it's just, you know, chaotic, whether it's, you know, I believe that the whole point is to be present in the moment, like, which is a very like Zen sort of thing like even if that's it that's fine and for for me it's um moving towards like what is loving all the time which is very in a line with a lot of with all of jesus's teachings so like totally still cool with jesus and so i don't necessarily i don't call myself a christian even though i'm totally down with the teachings of jesus and that's still kind of how i live my life and how i make decisions and all of that is sort of based on that that life value system, but I don't necessarily believe I need to be saved or that there is a, I don't believe in hell or that heaven is necessarily what we think it is. And of course, like, no, I don't know for sure, but none of us do, which is like the point. Um, and so that's kind of where I've, I've landed. It's not that I'm anti-Jesus or anti-Christians. It's that I, and because somebody even told me like, hey, well, there's this church that is like LGBTQ affirming and it's more like it almost leans universalist. Um, like you don't have to believe, you know, it's just a great community and they do good. And they're working on if you don't live in Atlanta, you might not be familiar with the whole stop cop city thing, but um, they're doing a lot of work with that. And I was like, you know, I don't want to go to church right now. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying I never will you know, that I might find a community one day that are sort of like-minded and some of them are Christians and we're moving forward. But for now, I just want to be away, you know, because there's, you have to like take space from, uh, what is that saying? Like you can't heal in the space you were hurt or something mm -hmm. like that. And not that I was hurt in North Point world. I wasn't. Um, I still think it was very, um, necessary and beautiful and it was actually a really safe space uh, to deconstruct uh they were very kind to me and the leadership team that was around me at the time was really supportive so that was that well and i think it's a great 
this is why I think sharing our stories or everybody sharing stories is so important because like you do hear a lot of the most traumatic ones, you know, like whether you're on podcasts or TikTok or different things, like you hear like the ones about abuse or really, really awful traumatic things happening. But I think that, that there's a, a huge number of people that are going through these deconstruction experiences that didn't have like a triggering event happen that they just kind of slowly were like, I don't know about this anymore. And then it just kept going and kept going and kept going much more like yours was like, there wasn't a moment for you where you were just like, Nope, I'm done. Like that hurt my feelings. I'm out or whatever. Like, like yeah. mine, I was kicked out. So right. that was pretty, that was like pretty defining, you know? Um, or if somebody leaves because of abuse, but I think that I'd love for you to talk about the experience. There's this feeling I get sometimes in my life when I know something is the wrong thing. And I don't know how to explain what it feels like other than like a sinking knowing that I can't unknow. And it happens when like I know that there's going to be a shift or a change that happens. And so I remember that feeling and being scared of that feeling. And you said something when you were talking about how you just can't, you wouldn't choose to deconstruct. And I thought it would be interesting to have you kind of talk about what that felt like. Cause I think that there's so many people who are in that liminal space of feeling that feeling, <laughs> but not wanting to have yeah. to experience it, which is completely valid and fair because it's a lot to have your entire belief system and worldview turned upside down. Like this is not deconstruction has been trendy for a few years now. And I never want people to think I'm making light of what is a very intense psychological experience. If we're ever joking, it's just because that helps us. through. <laughs> Humor is my coping mechanism. I guess I just want to like have a little conversation because there have been times where I've had thoughts like, wouldn't it just still be so much easier to mm-hmm. believe that way? You know what I mean? Yes. And I've had people ask me because I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty public with my story, especially now and about mental health. And I've had people ask me like, well, you know, like ever since you left, then you got diagnosed with PTSD and then you got depression and anxiety. And like, this doesn't seem like this is getting better. Like it seems like <laughs> it's getting worse. And they kind of insinuate like, that it's because you deconstructed? That it's because I deconstructed. I, Not in a bad way. Yeah, no, no, no. But I and I get it because in my own in my own mind, I've been like, man, it would be nice to just go back to the the ease of mm-hmm. every Sunday I go and I see all my friends and then we do church and I'm on stage and it makes me feel good about myself and I I feel loved and connected. And then we go to barbecue afterward. Like it was a a lovely time of life filled with ease. And I feel very much kind of like this matrix example of like red pill, blue pill of like, yeah. once it's not that for you anymore, you can't force yourself to still feel good in it. Like I couldn't go back now and get to that feeling again because yeah. it's like I've already, I've already unplugged from that. And yeah, it would be easier for me to just turn off my brain and let this belief system make all of my decisions for me or let, you know, the pastor of my church tell me all the things I need to do in my life and kind of just follow along. 
yeah, that might be easier, but it's, it's not going to feel right. And yeah. even, even though there are things in my life that have been challenging about deconstructing, confronting trauma, processing through all of that stuff, like what that can be like and look like in reality, I feel so much better. And I, yeah. I, I want to, I want to make sure this is on the record somewhere because I talk and joke a lot about like mental health things and anxiety and trauma. And I never want people to think that it's worse because it's a, it's work to heal, but it's better. I, I think of it like this long, this is going to sound dramatic. I hope this isn't offensive. I don't actually care if it's offensive, but um, don't take offense because it's not meant to be, but it feels like it's like drawing the poison out where I feel like it has to come out of my cells. So it's, a slow, long process. And even though that in itself is not necessarily an easy process or a fun experience, every step of the way I have less poison in me than I did before. And so I feel better. So the so, visual, the visual I got about that mm -hmm. um, is like, you've been operating with a knife in your leg your whole life and you're riding roller coasters. Like you're still like operating and finding joy and, and it, you could just as easily just go on that way, but because you don't know it's there, you know, like you feel the discomfort sometimes when you like twist a certain way or come up against something or hit a wall, like you feel, but you're not aware it's there. And then when you see it's there, you have to decide if you're going to remove it or not. And when you remove it, there is now an open gaping wound that you have to treat. And because of how long it's been in there, there's a lot of, of issues. There are infections, there are, you know, whatever. And you have to deal with all of that. And it is wildly painful. And you might have to have surgeries. You might have to have like a piece of your leg removed because it was like the infection was too deep. Like you just never, you never know. Mm -hmm. um, so having a bad experience or having depression or getting diagnosed with PTSD or, you know, feeling a lot of pain when you're deconstructing, I think a lot of, of Christians try to attribute that with like, oh, well, that's, that's because you don't have God anymore. That's because you deconstructed. But really, it's just because you're dealing with a wound. And however that wound affected you, however deep it is, you have to heal it. And healing is really painful. Ask anybody who's ever been through anything, <laughs> you know, people who have been in like car wrecks or had a burn or, you know, even if you had a baby, like if you had a bad birth experience, like healing is hard, even if it's a good thing, even if it's a good. And we don't, we don't think about it in the same way. That's such a great metaphor because like if you get in a car accident or if you're an athlete and you're hurt, like you know that you're going to have physical therapy. You know you're going to have to retrain those muscles and get stronger and have this whole like period of time. But when it comes to emotional injuries or mental health ones, we just completely expect that like, okay, well now you should feel better. And it's like, no, of course I would have to actually like work these muscles again and like rebuild my strength. So that's a great metaphor. Yeah. So for me, I think something I've always really valued, even as a Christian, was authenticity. In fact, I really thought that's what separated uh, Jared and I from a lot of other worship leaders who just had like the gig mentality is like, we're so authentically in this moment and so like present with it and so, you know, engaged. And I remember it just kept feeling less authentic. You were talking about, you know, when that tipping point happened for me. And I just had to decide because obviously I just knew it was easier. I was like, this is our whole careers. 
this is all of our financial stability. This is our community. Like we love what we do. Cause that was another thing. Like we loved what we do. Mm-hmm. Like you get to go play awesome music with your awesome friends. Like, are you kidding? And you get paid for it and food is catered and you know, like it was such a win and it's tied to so many other opportunities because that circle is so small in Atlanta, it's tied to other jobs. And, and so it's hard to, to decide like, all right, I'm just going to close that door and the ramifications are what they are. But I remember being on stage and like, it just kept feeling less authentic and less authentic. And I would try to like restructure the song lyrics in my brain so that I could still be authentic in what I was singing, just like kind of from a different, from a different angle. And it just kept, it kept getting worse and kept being, it kept getting more uncomfortable. And I just had that deep, like, this is not what you should be doing. Like, this is not true for you. This is not authentic for you right now. It's time to release this. And like, I've felt that in several other areas of my life before where like, you knew it was time to kind of release something, but you don't really know what's after that. You feel that way with, with jobs, with any sort of job or you know, people I think have it in relationships too, where it just comes to that point of, you know, just in your gut that like, you have to let go of whatever this is. And you don't know if anything's going to take its place. You don't know what's next. You don't know if you're going to find another relationship or another job or another fate, whatever. But like you, you have to let it go because it, it doesn't fit right. It felt like you know, like, you know, those pants that you love or something that you, you put on and then it just like stops fitting and you're like, no, no, I'll fit, I'll lose five pounds. I'll get back in these. They'll be comfortable again. And you just realize at some point you're like, this is hopeless, isn't it? Like, this is not going to feel comfortable again. I should just, I need to give these away. It was very much the same feeling for me. And because my deconstruction happened so slow, it was very just like, I'm questioning this. And so I would follow that. And then that would lead to like, it was not linear at all. There was no timeline. It was like, you question this, you let that go. Now the grief of that hits. Now you're angry about that because you just had to grieve that. And like, why was that ever there in the first place? You know? And so it was just, it wasn't like a clean line. It was just an absolute insane roller coaster. Like anything else in life, you just keep moving forward. Just one, like I had no idea where this was going to end. I still don't know where it's going to end. Like I might end up back in a really progressive church one day. I literally don't know because the shift that might happen, like there might be a shift in culture that happens. And then this now aligns with that. Like I literally don't know. And I have not fully released (laughs) control because I am a little bit of a control freak, but I know that like I am open and I am taking one step at a time, one step in front of me to like, okay, does this feel authentic? How does this feel? Um, How does this belief or, you know, this grief is coming up, right? I'm going to deal with that. It's very much just one step at a time. And I think if you try, we've talked about this before, but I think if you try to go into this or you, you feel this coming up for you, you start to question things or something traumatic happens to you in the church, whatever it might be, that you think, well, I have to know, like, where am I going? Because wherever... I think in Christianity, we always had this like end goal. We know what the end goal was. We knew we are trying to get to heaven. And that was it. It wasn't really about the path along the way. It was just end game, which is why so many 
people in this religion, and not all of them, obviously, but there's a large swath, as you see them publicly and on Facebook <laughs> and storming the Capitol, um, they are very much like it doesn't matter what happens here because it's all about that kind of end game. And really, now it's reversed for me. It's not about the end game because I don't know what the end game is. It's just about what's in front of me in the moment. And I think if you make that switch, what's in front of me, what feels authentic, what feels true? Is there grief coming up? Is there pain coming up? Is there anger coming up? Is there a question coming up? Then just taking what's right in front of you and being present with it. And you just kind of get where you're going. <laughs> Um, because I am both terrified and still sad sometimes. And sometimes I still go like, God, wouldn't it be so much easier if I could just flip the switch, if I could just undo everything and go back. But then like, I can't, I can't unknow what I know. I can't unsee what I've seen. And the freedom I have felt like, yes, I'm anxious. Yes. I still have depression. Yes. I still have this or Yes, I still don't know what I'm doing with my life. You know, all of those things, yes. And not living under the crushing weight of shame and guilt and this feeling of I'm broken or I'm not enough or looking to outside yourself, like learning to trust myself, learning to love who I am and, and trust that person. And that is, like, that's wild. Like, that is such a gift to be more present in this life, even for the, mm, this gonna make me cry. <laughs> for all of the grief and anger and pain and uncertainty that I have faced, it still doesn't touch the wondrous gift that it is to be present fully in your life, exactly where you are and with who you are and feel a freedom in that presence to know that it's not about the end game or it's not about trying to reach this unattainable standard of wanting to be murdered for Jesus because you just love him so much, you know, um, and feeling broken in that. But it's just about, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. And it's part of the human experience. And I'm present in that without guilt or shame about it, because it's literally just the human experience is a gift I can never let go of. Like, it's just the most wondrous gift. It's been so beautiful in the relationships that I have with others, for the empathy I have for the people around me and just knowing like they're going through the human experience, for not feeling the pressure of being perfect for my kids or teaching them to be perfect or, you know, just but knowing that like their experience is their own and I'm just here to guide them, which before didn't feel like that. I felt this pressure of, I have to get them saved for heaven. I have to get them saved for heaven, you know? Mm -hmm. But just releasing all of that. And it's been the greatest gift I could, I could ever ask for. And I don't think that I hear a lot of that in deconstruction talk, like T-A-L-K, not talk as in the TikTok. Um, but like, I don't hear people talking about the gifts that it's brought because we talk about a lot about like the trauma which we all have we talk about the pain we talk about this but like i don't think we talk about what we've gained from going through all of the pain you know mm -hmm. 
like getting that, like moving for the first time without that knife in your leg (laughs) and learning you can run and yeah, you might fall, but you're running, you know, and it just, that's a really, really great gift to give yourself Mm -hmm. and (laughs) seen. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, If you have questions, I'm happy to answer. I'm even happy to answer questions about like, okay, well, how do you reconcile this belief? Or like, if you grew up believing this, how do you, how do you make sense of that now? Even if you have very specific questions about belief or um, experience, or you just want to rant about your experience or your hopes, we are so happy to listen. We love engaging with you. You can reach us at, um, at prone to wonder co on Instagram or in our DMS. I'm Amber Humphreys and Becca Robinson. We're very creative. Um, on Instagram, you can always just find us and, and DM us. We would love to talk to you about it. You can also ask questions, uh, voice questions, which we're happy to answer. I wanted to say on air, but that's not right. <laughs> Cause it's not on air, but just the radio thing came up. Um, you yeah. can send us in a voice memo, um, on anchor, uh, or Spotify, um, for podcasts. That's also a possibility. But anyway, all of those, we just, we just want to hear from you. We want to engage with you. We want you to know that you're, you're safe and you're seen. And we have so much grace for your human experience, wherever that takes you right now. So that's why we share our stories. Not so you can be like, Hey, here's the roadmap, but like, okay, Hey, people experience all sorts of things and have different experiences. If you heard Becca's story, you know, it was different from mine. We had a lot of the same traumas, obviously, but our, the way we, left and the way we were removed from the situation was was very different and so people have different experiences they're different places and that's fine we just want you to know that that you're safe and it's okay and uh we love you and thanks for wondering with us bye thanks so much for joining us as usual we hope you find these conversations helpful don't forget to leave us a review connect with us via instagram at at prone to wonder co and send us your questions and comments at www.askptw.com. We love wondering with you. Until next time.